You're listening to the Cubicle Chronicles podcast, a sounding board for the creative millennial who imagines what life is like beyond the nine to five or has already taken action to secure a life filled with more purpose-driven creative work. This show shares the funny and relatable nuances of cubicle life. And also I give practical advice on what to do or what not to do in your journey up the corporate ladder. Basically, I give fundamental tips on how to not sell yourself out and still just really be yourself while climbing corporate or maybe balancing a creative side hustle or any side hustle for that matter. I encourage all of my listeners to follow me on Instagram at itsport underscore and click the link in my bio so that you can send me something that you want me to read on the show. And let's get into this week's episode. Okay, so let me get into this uh, episode. I want to introduce my very second guest on the Cubicle Chronicles podcast. Zachary Nunn is a multifaceted creative and professional consultant based in Houston, Texas. As founder of the Living Corporate uh, brand, uh, which is a multimedia platform that he launched in spring of this year, he seeks to amplify underrepresented voices in corporate America. Um, Zachary's passion, um, Zachary has a passion for serving underprivileged communities and he uh, does a lot of work in his, uh, local Houston, Texas area. He is a minister of his local church. He is a public speaker with Genesis Works, a nonprofit in Houston, and he's also a community partner in other nonprofits around the Houston, Texas area. Now, clearly Living Corporate is a podcast and a platform that is in alignment with the Cubicle Chronicles podcast. Um, I started following Living Corporate on Twitter and then I reached out and to see if there would be a guest on my podcast because we kind of do the same thing. We kind of like amplify that voice of the black creative millennial or just the black millennial in corporate America. And, um, you know, we kind of say the same thing on our different platforms. So I'm so happy to have Zach on the podcast this week and we are kind of shaking the table with this topic we are talking about microaggressions in the workplace and how to handle them and just um maybe if people should know better or you know if you don't if you've never been microaggressed or you don't or not familiar with it then we get into it on this episode A microaggression occurs when people are put down through comments that a person may not see as derogatory to other cultures, races, or genders. It's the everyday banter that most people are aware of, um, or they aren't aware of, that it may insult or offend their peers. So an example would just be um, maybe one of your coworkers, of course, would say something about your hair, or maybe one of your coworkers who are non-Black, they want you to be the voice of black people like they come to you with like black um you know questions or they they just expect you to be the voice of black culture so we have a really good conversation on this episode stick it out listen to it and look up the living corporate brand on all social media platforms they're super dope and i hope that you enjoy the episode Okay, guys, so we have Zach here from the Living Corporate Podcast. So let's just get into the questions. Um, So, Zach, just give us a little background on you and your experience in corporate America. Sure. So as you already said, my name is Zachary Nunn. My background in corporate America is 
really mainly was in change management and human resources. So I started as a manager with Target um, some years ago, wow, back in 2011. And then I transitioned from retail into oil and gas, into uh, startups, into consulting. And that's where I am now. I'm, uh, I'm a manager at a big four consulting firm. I'm still within change management. So that's really my, that's my background. Okay. Oh, cool. So um, what kind of, ha- well, have you dealt with some like microaggressions? Like, cause you just like outlined a really like strategic career path in corporate. So we've all dealt with like some subtle or either outright microaggressions. Um, what have, what's maybe been your experience um, or maybe an experience of a coworker or somewhere, someone that you knew um, during a trajectory in corporate? <laughs> No, sure. So, so you know, I I had to, I dealt with microaggressions. I've been dealing with microaggressions since I within the corporate space since I got there. So, you know, uh, starting you know starting in retail, you know, I was there, and you know, being the only black male really in a position of leadership as a manager, I was often told like, hey, you know, you're coming across kind of scary or uh, you know you're you're being a little too assertive or um you know you're you're very imposing your presence is very imposing like just my own existence was i was told was imposing so that was that was i, I would count that i believe as a microaggression or maybe that's just a straight up aggression i'm not sure wow trans- yeah. yeah that's a straight up aggression for them to say you're being um too like direct but honestly i've had that too and honestly like it happens a lot more well, I'm not going to say a lot more, but with black people who are like darker skinned, I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah. So they will automatically. Yeah. yeah. Colorism. OK, yeah. I I, I want to get real. Like colorism is real because um, from, you know, our white counterparts, they will kind of approach, you know, us of a darker skin tone a little different because I've gotten that I have an attitude when I literally am like either super quiet or just super nonchalant at work. Um, so that's like a straight up aggression. Have you dealt with it? Like when, with a coworker or like not outside of management or higher up has a coworker ever like asked you about a part of the culture to where it's like, okay, why, why you, did you ask me that? Cause I'm black. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, yes. And that actually leads me into like my next set of examples. Uh-huh. And to your point though, about, you know, you being, having an attitude, things of that nature, you know, I want to call out the fact that as a black man, while I don't have the same amount of male privilege as a white man, I do have some, I do have privilege. And so I think that to your point, black women, black women, especially darker skinned black women, I would imagine, I might rather not, I would imagine, excuse me, I know mm-hmm. are, they even get a rougher end of the stick. So um, I definitely empathize with what you're saying there. Um, as it, as it pertains to people asking me things or saying things like, okay, why did you say that? You know, I, I recall, I recall uh, when I went into uh, the oil, the energy sector, uh, this was before I got into consulting, got into the energy sector, and uh, some people would ask me questions like, hey, Zach, you know, maybe we should make our department a team. And I was like, okay, make it a team? Like, like, like we should make our own team? And then, once, <laughs> then, someone, then someone said, well, we should make it a gang. Like, that was just bizarre. Like, they're highly inappropriate. Um, 
and just off-putting language, you know, where they say something like, um, you know, they'd ask about my hair a lot because at the time I had like a mohawk type thing. Yeah. I was super, I was super against the establishment uh, while working in the establishment. Uh, so had a, <laughs> mohawk, had a mohawk situation going on and people want to, of course, touch my hair. That's a very common um, experience for people of color, especially black folks. Want to touch your hair, want to ask you about your hair. Um, you know, actually, someone asked me, so they hear the way I was, so I met someone out of Boston, and she was from New York. Mm-hmm. And we were having a conversation, and she asked me about my background. And there's this thing that happens sometimes when I'm talking, and people, they'll just like look at my mouth. They'll just stare at my mouth like, <laughs> I can't, I can't believe this talking bear can talk. Like, oh my God. Right? <laughs> it's like, it's like, yo, I can, I'm just talking. Like, what are we doing here? So, so anyway, the, my boss, she turns around and she's like, um, you're so articulate, clearly very intelligent. And I said, thanks. And she said, oh, my God. Par- she said, are your parents black? What? I said, I said, I'm 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 black. <laughs> my parents are black. Uh, everybody's black. That's what I said. Hey, everybody's black. I'm yeah. Like, oh, what? Like I, I did like a did like a like a triple take. I was like, "Why would you?" It was just the most bizarre thing. So yeah. So to answer your question, yes, people have asked me questions or made suggestions to me. Um, you know, so I do a little bit of voiceover work from time to time. Uh-huh. And you know, and everybody's like, "Oh, you sound just like James Earl Jones." I'm like, "I do not sound like James Earl Jones." <laughs> Why would you make that comparison? Like I, like I, like I. I don't sound like him, right? Like James Earl Jones sounds like that's like Mufasa, Darth Vader. You yeah, sound like that. Yeah, no way. You're just making that comparison because we're both black. Because like, you're no, both black. Like yeah. Listen, right. no, that is real. Because yeah, I, I one of my jobs before, um, you know, I'm black, and then there's another black girl, and um, you know, the white girls will be like, "Well, you don't act like her," like, and I'm just like, "Well, how does she act?" Like, you know. Because we act the same. I just, you know, maybe have a little more decorum in the office, but sure. yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny. So, like, you know, I would say maybe a few years back, like, I would say maybe like back in 2013 or 2000, yeah, 2013, I officially stopped code switching. I know you, I know this podcast is not about code switching, but I officially stopped putting on like a different voice for uh work and putting on my regular voice mm-hmm. for my friends right so i just i talk the same but see like my my background is kind of different so a lot of things just kind of blend together so like i'm from the country but my mom was an english teacher mm-hmm. and then like then i lived in minnesota for a little while so like so like sometimes like the southern stuff like the southern draw will come out but typically my speaking voice is just like this i talk like this all the time the only thing that changes at work juxtaposed to when I'm with my friends is like the subject matter. Of but course. My, yeah. But, but my slang but my slang usage, my cadence and all those different things, they all stay the same. And so um but but to your point though, people initially before I start like when I when I was code switching, people would be like, Oh you know, you're not like them or you know, you're one of the good ones or something like oh that. Oh my God, yes. Right. Yes. So like, I feel like we probably worked in corporate as much of our generation has before code switching was actually labeled. Like, you know what I mean? So it's good that you mentioned that because 
I literally probably stopped code switching last year. Like, you know what I mean? Because I was just like tired of it. I was like being this. That's the whole point of my podcast is to help us be more authentic at work, whether it's going for a job that aligns with who we really are. But yeah, I was just like, you know what? I'm about to stop faking it. I'm about to stop. Like, it's tiring. Yeah, it's so tiring. Like, literally, you will come home drained. Um, and you can't. You're not gonna be. You're not gonna be your best self. No, it's right. like you're showing up. You're not. They hired you, but right. it's like, of course, they you know expect a level of decency out of you, but they hired you, so you're doing yourself a disservice by not totally showing up as who you really are. Right, and I know that you haven't asked me about living corporate yet, but it really reminds me of. So you know, we had this episode on our podcast. Yes, the first episode, and. We interviewed this man named Fenoris Pearson. Fenoris Pearson was like he was a, I mean, he was a top VP at Motorola and at Dell. Yes. And he talked he talked about a conversation that he had with one of his like very senior white mentors, and he and the the, the man who was his mentor called out the fact he said you know even some of y'all change y'all's voice. So he called it out, and it was funny to me because I said you know the thing about it is we're playing this this game. Of trying to like be different, yeah. and the only person that we're convincing is ourselves. Right? Oh my and gosh! Doing, and, and we're doing a bad job of that, right? Because no one's gonna look at you <laughs> and be like, "Oh, he's not brown, she's not black." Like, listen, and again, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you um, that you, that, you, that we're acting like this is like a dipset video. But I'm saying, like, at the same time. Just be yourself. Literally. Just be yourself. That's you know? lit no, I, I totally get it. Because it's like at the end of the day, you you don't relate to people if you're not being authentic or being yourself. Like, you know, you just are just like a shell of yourself at work. Um right. and that's just that's just overrated. So if a coworker has gotten out of line, let's say they microaggressed you, um, <laughs> would you like correct them the first time or do you like wait until the next time? Or like, what's what 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 can you say professionally to let them know that hey, that's not cool. Yet, yeah, don't like f with me again. Like to kind of straighten them up. So my wife, my wife really, uh, my wife, my wife and I, we've been married for uh, over five years. Yeah, um, yeah, but but she she laughs at me because <laughs> uh, she knows I love confrontation and I love awkward <laughs> situations. <laughs> <laughs> so so for me. Like, let's say if someone says something ridiculous or I find offensive or disrespectful, I'll just pause and be like, hey, why did you say that? Yes. <laughs> just ask them. Just ask. Like, it doesn't have to be this whole, like, you're wrong. Because I think that, like, so people in general, like, just human nature, we don't deal well with shame. So we don't like being embarrassed. We don't like being told that we're wrong. We don't like being told that we've made a mistake. So I, like, I choose a more... Um, Socratic method to lead people so they can kind of walk into their to the L themselves uh-huh. because the L is for learn. So, so, I'm like, <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm like, hey, why did you say that? Oh well, and I'll be like, you know, I think you said that because I'm black, or maybe you just made some assumptions. I didn't wow. think about it like that, or oh, I didn't know. I was like, yeah, you know that. I was like, no, like, I'm not tripping, but that was pretty rude. You probably shouldn't <laughs> say that again. So you like straighten them up in the moment. Yes. No, that absolutely on the spot coaching on the spot feedback <laughs> is uh, critical. Yes. Coaching. Okay. <laughs> no, 
I totally, I totally, well, I agree, but my, I've been so passive. I've just been working on being more assertive. I like sometimes honestly will let it slide until like it happens again. And that's not the best approach, especially if sometimes they really don't know. And sometimes they are just being like funny or sometimes they're really acting out of like, you know, their, I want to say prejudice, not in a negative way, but they're really acting out of their like ignorance of not knowing sure. about black culture. True. Well, to, to your, but to your point, and to your point, you know, it. I have again, I have some privileges, right? So I'm a man. Yeah. I'm like six. I'm like six two and a half. I'm like two eighty. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm a large. I'm a large man. I'm also, you know, and I'm, and I'm also, also, I'm well dressed. Like I look, I look very polished. So like all of it comes together. So when I talk to you, you don't necessarily. You're not gonna. You, yes, of course, you may feel. You may feel threatened, but I always say it with a smile. Uh-huh. I'm always very, I'm all, and I'm always very approachable when I say it. Yes. So, so, but like my point is though, you as a black woman, um, you know, you have different challenges. Where if you were to say something like that, they'd be like, "Oh, they, you know, here she is with an attitude problem." Okay, and don't get me wrong. Oh my god, that is so true. Yes. Yeah. No, no, don't get me wrong. I've corrected people, or I've, or I've, or I've, co- you know, I've given some on the spot coaching, and it always doesn't turn out fine. But the thing about it is is that in the moment, it's never combative. Now, they may walk away and mutter something or go tell somebody something. That's not really my problem, right? Yep. Because if, it turn, if they turn around and like, hey, Zach, I heard you kind of had a little exchange with so-and-so, and that's happened before, too. Like, yeah, you know, he said this, and I said that. And when I tell them what they said, and I explain to them the implications of the problem that they said, the, the person I'm talking to, like, oh, I didn't. Cause the, because typically when it, when, it get, when it gets around and there's gossip, it never, the person who is tattling never fully tells the truth about what they see. Of course not, no. Right, they frame it like, oh, well, Zach was overreacting or Zach was doing this. And I just think in those points, it's just really important that you have to stand up for yourself and speak truth is power. Because, um, you know, there's this large misconception going on that black folks have the power to, like, get white people fired. And it's like, we don't. Like, <laughs> you know, I work in HR, right? So you have to... Um, and, and, you know, because of the current administration, just the way the government is set up, you have to do, you have to go above and beyond, um, to even get an EEOC, uh, claim filed in your favor. Like you have yes. to go beyond the pale. So no pun intended. So, the, <laughs> so, so, so my point is, you know, no one wants that. People, people think that, again, people think that minorities have this superpower to anybody fired if they if, if minorities get offended that's not the case um and so the biggest thing is the, the biggest thing is just they don't because they have that fear there's a genuine fear of that no one wants to go that far so they're going to listen to you um just make sure you don't you just kind of keep it just keep it tactful and professional but just be direct because the last thing you want is for it to be like the 18th time and then you say something they're like well, I've been saying this for the past seven months and they didn't say anything before. Yeah. Well, saying something now. No, that's that that's actually loaded when you say um, you know, people think that black people have the ability to get other people fired that are non black because um a lot of people are still like, you know, seeing black people as a number, like affirmative action in corporate, you know? So they're just like some 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 people do 
and walk on eggshells because it's like, let's not upset the black person, you know, because they they feel like we hold that power based on us being here solely as the, you know, a number. They need more diversity um, and things like that. Absolutely. Um, So speaking of diversity, um, you know, everybody knows about like Starbucks and like a lot of these huge, huge global corporations that have been under fire for some racial profiling. Do you think like diversity and inclusion trainings are necessary or should everyone kind of just know better or just hold themselves to a standard? Like if you have to think about it or maybe Google it, you probably shouldn't say it in the workplace. Like, do you think that's necessary for corporations to include now? So, so there's a few different perspectives, right? So, inclusion and diversity programs, and notice that I put inclusion first. Yes. I'll talk about that in a moment. But those programs are helpful from a starting off from a uh, a personal individual protection perspective. So, companies they protect themselves legally uh-huh. when they provide training that advocates against bigoted racist and prejudicial behaviors uh-huh. of their employees. So to start off, companies are probably never going to stop doing them simply because they can say, look, we check the box, like just being as cynical as possible. They can say, look, we check the box. We are, uh, we're not racist. Okay. So, <laughs> right. Cause we have these trainings, right? So it's not going to stop in it. And I mean, if I was a, like, if I was in their HR, if I was like an HR executive and I worked for a company or even like if I was a lawyer, um, if I was like some type of employment lawyer, I would I would never advocate for those to stop, right? So I don't care what they actually consist of. That sh- those are going to continue. That should um, we should see those continue. Um, I do believe that inclusion and diversity programs should be should be a staple. Um, I don't know about inclusion and diversity training, and the reason why I make that difference is because I don't really know like what those trainings solve. Like, I don't, I don't know, True. you know, right. So I don't, and I, and I say that not because I haven't been a part of them, but I'm saying that like, I just don't know what they solve. Like the people who don't believe in inclusion and diversity aren't going to leave the training and be like, Oh, I believe in inclusion and diversity. Now they're going to be like, this is just more leftist propaganda. Or wow. No, or that is a good is, point. Yeah. So, 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 but, but this is what I will say. I think that when I say inclusion diversity programs, I do believe there should be programs that specifically target the empowerment of black and brown people to put them in positions of authority and leadership. Right. Uh So I think, so I think that because the more black and brown folks you have in positions of leadership, the more inclusive and diverse your organization is going to be organically. Right. So let me give you an example. Um, let me think of like a situation. Okay, here we go. So like the Pepsi ad. Uh-huh. That Pepsi, this is like back in, like this was a couple years ago with Kendall Jenner, I think it was, or Kylie Jenner, I don't know. Yeah, I remember. One of the Jenners, right? So there was the protest, and then she walks up and she grabs the Pepsi can, and she drinks the Pepsi can, and then like racism ends. Yeah. Like the world is the world is, is perfect. Yeah. So that, I can guarantee you that there were no black folks in the room when mm-hmm. that ad was created. Absolutely not. Absolutely right. not. And so, like, it's about, but it's, but it's about uh, putting folks in those rooms to help make those decisions and influence. Same thing, I think, I don't know if it was Ford or was it Chevy, one of these truck companies, they had, like, the trucks running, they had Martin Luther King quotes in the background, 
right? Oh my god! And, yeah, it was a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, uh, and so it was like, it's, and I, I, I watched the commercial. I was like, oh, that was, oh, that was so distasteful. I remember, I remember, I think I had like a stomachache after. I was like, oh, that was awful. And again, no black folks. No black and brown folks in the room. There's plenty of ads and things like that. Ads, ads to me are low-hanging fruits because we see, again, just the lack of choices or the lack of uh, representation in making those choices. So to answer your question, I, I do believe inclusion diversity programs matter. I think that they should just be much more explicit and focused. And it's not about some lottery system or putting people in positions of authority that aren't qualified. And let's be clear. Mm-hmm. People always say this all the time, like, well, you know, it should be about the best candidate. Listen, you and I both know that we walk into jobs every day and we see people in, in positions of authority and we ask, how in the world did you get that job? Because you're not competent. So let's not act <laughs> as if everybody who has the jobs that they have is the most competent people. That is not true. Okay. People have a lot of the jobs they have because they can network and they can, um, they can flip words well, but they aren't necessarily competent. So, but my point is, even if that means it doesn't mean just grabbing people like, hey, you're a manager now, you're an executive now. If there's just some type of leadership development programs that fast tracks them or gets them on a very distinct leadership track, identify sponsorships, executive sponsors for black and brown people to uh, have the right network and grow. Yeah. Right. So I believe in all of those things. You, you, your, your last point in your question when you said, you know, do, you, do I believe people should just know better? No, I don't. So I don't no. believe people should are going to just know better no. and do better because I don't believe, by and large, um, that people read books. Uh, yes. And I don't believe that people like math. So if you don't like math and you don't like to read, I don't believe that you're going to make very quantitatively intelligent decisions. That is very, that's a very good point. Because it's like, some of the things, it's like, who raised you? You know what I mean? Even if I had something racist or a bigot to say, like, the way I was raised, I'm not going to say it, like, at work in your your face. Intelligence (laughs) isn't common. And, like, you know, my wife, again, my wife, my wife's name is Candace, by the way. She's amazing. I just, I got to shout her out. Of course. But no, intelligence is intelligence is valued for a reason because intelligence isn't common. And so, you know, your whole thing around your your statement, you know, should people know better? You're kind of presuming that like everyone is intelligent and self aware enough to know that's true, right? And like people aren't. Most people need to be told what to do. No, that's a word. That is a word. Um, <laughs> that is totally a word. Um, so amazing. This has been an amazing conversation, Zach. What are some tips, um, you can share that you live by to stay authentic to your culture? And also as your gender, you, you really, you know, you're a black male in the millennial workplace. Um, the, like you're a darker skin, you're larger, like how can you give some tips for other males out there who may look like you and sound like you to stay true to themselves? No, that's 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 a great question. So and let me be fully transparent. So I don't believe that I'm light skinned, but <laughs> my wife tells me all the time that I am. Um, I don't believe I am, right? So I believe that there are tears. So there's beige. That's your like that's your Barack Obama's, your Clay Thompson's, your um your Steph Curry's. Right? So yes. Then there, then there's like then there's like a I would say like a like a milk chocolate. And that's kind of like your Keenan Thompsons, your, um, uh, you know, I'll stay with sport. You know, I, I, you know I, I, would say, I, would, I would say I'm similar to like a Colin Kaepernick, 
Oh, right. Way. So Colin Kaepernick's kind of beige, but he's darker beige. He's he's roast he's roasted beige. Okay. Okay. I would say that I'm more on that. So I do believe I have I have some lighter skin privileges, but I'm not light skinned though. I get it. I just wanna, okay, thank you. I um, totally get I, it. I just want to I just want to walk in the truth that I have. Okay. Okay. Uh, but to your but to your larger point, <laughs> to your larger point about. Um, advice for black men, you know, I, I think, I think the biggest thing is, you know, recognize that, um, people are going to make whatever assumptions they make about you, regardless of what you do. Mm-hmm. So when you walk into a room, people are going to look at you and think all sorts of things. My personal, uh, what I do, and I, this is Zach's approach is that, I I walk in uh, not really worried about trying to prove anybody wrong mm-hmm. or prove anybody right. My only goal is to make sure that I achieve the the goals that I have set out for wherever I am. So my my larger my at a thirty thousand foot level, my my goals are to to love God, love people, serve others. Right. So mm-hmm. um, when it comes to a project, I might say, okay, well, look, I want to learn these specific things on this project. Or I want to build these specific relationships. Um, I would like to be here this amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so as long as I'm moving and I'm achieving those things, I'm not really worried about anything else. Um, and so for me, that's what it looks like. And I would suggest um, that, you know, for black men and just people of color in general, be goal oriented when you go somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Right. So, so you're not, so you're not looking at this person who might be judging you or making something. You're looking through that person. You're looking through that person. You're looking through whatever intentions they have, malicious or otherwise. And you're looking at your goals. This person who's in front of you is simply uh, a stepping stone or, um, or perhaps a road, maybe, maybe even a speed bump for you to get to your goal. Isn't they're not, you're right. And I think sometimes, we get caught up in wanting to, uh, we get caught up in respectability politics, right? So that goes back to code switching, mm-hmm. presenting ourselves in a way that makes sure that people aren't uncomfortable with us. But like I said, just recognize that your presence is going to make people uncomfortable. That's Not true. everybody, but just walk, but, but, but just, but just that, that, that might make you sad or that might sound cynical or sound depressing, but really that should give you some freedom because you just, it's it's just the truth of the matter. It's the reality of the situation. Okay, you know that people are going to be uncomfortable with you being there, especially if you're in any position where you have any type of authority or any type of thought leadership capabilities, and you're 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 presenting ideas. You know that that's going to make people uncomfortable. Yes. Again, while you're walking and you're doing what you're doing, while you're talking and having conversations, and people are kind of looking around at you or up and down at you, look through them to your goals and stay focused. That's going to give you a clarity of mind so that you can be your best self every day and uh, not have you get caught up in getting caught up in what you think they think they're thinking about you. You can just worry about what you need to worry about, which is achieving your goals and moving forward. I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. And then, yeah, if you focus on your goals, um, you won't you won't be stuck. Like if you focus on what everybody thinks of you in that space and what they're saying, you know, you're going to stifle your creativity and your work ethic and reaching your goals. Cause you're going to be so worried about pleasing, you know, them that you're going to totally f- lose focus on why you're here in this room. 
Um, so this has been an amazing conversation and we know that you are the powerhouse behind the living corporate brand. So what was your inspiration for that brand? And also let listeners know where they can find you on the internet. Thank you so much. So first of all, I appreciate the compliment about me being the powerhouse, but I have to shout out, um, I have to shout out some people who have been instrumental to living corporate. Of course. Before I even talk about any anything that we got going on. I just want to make sure the names are heard. So of course. The first name is Ade Adesina. So Ade Adesina is one of the co-hosts on Living Corporate. Uh-huh. Um, she's often the voice that you hear opposite of mine. Another person is Latricia Ivy Guavin. Uh-huh. So she's also she's also another uh, co-host. Hannah McMorris is our social media manager. Uh-huh. So when you look on our Instagram and you look on uh, our Twitter and Facebook and things, she's the person who puts all the branding uh, behind it. And then we have um, and then we have Jeremy Jackson who does all the production work. And then we have Kiara. Jackson, who is Jeremy's wife, who does the outro audio for all of our shows. And uh-huh. we have another guy named Aaron DiCaprio who does all of our transcript work. So I just, my, my point is, I just want to recognize the team because Living Corporate yes. is a community of just aligned people who trust each other. And I also want to just give shout outs to uh, black women because um, the Jeremy is the producer, he's a man, Aaron is a transcriber, but everyone else who's involved with Living Corporate in any type of way to build the platform up. Uh-huh is is a black woman and so i just want to shout them out okay so <laughs> living corporate uh living corporate was created because of uh, the inspiration by living corporate was i was tired of feeling as if any conversation i had around being black or just being not white in corporate america um was in the context of some type of complaint and was always had like in private and shadows kind of whispered with another black person or, or a Latinx person <laughs> or a Muslim person. It was like, we weren't having these conversations out loud. Yeah. And then, and then when I go on Google and I type in minority in corporate America, only things that would pop up about being a minority in corporate America was like, again, from the position of, from, of lack, from the position of there's not enough black CEOs, the wage gap is bad, the opportunity gap is bad, the networking is bad, blah, blah, blah. Like it would just be bad, bad, bad. And again, those are all true things, but I just wanted to play, create a platform. I wanted to, I wanted to engage at the time. I wanted to engage a platform mm-hmm. that would affirm my identity and my perspectives and where I would just not feel so alone and where I felt the conversations were being had that were courageous. Right. And so that's really for me what inspired the birth of Living Corporate was to create a platform. It's not just, it's not exclusive to black people. It's anyone that is not white. So we've had, We've had uh, we've had uh, gay folks, LGBTQ uh, members of that community on our show. Mm-hmm. Um, in season two, we plan on having uh, uh, Asian Americans and first generation immigrants and mm-hmm. Latinx folks on the show. But the point is to create a platform for for my ethnic minorities, underrepresented minorities uh, who are who don't feel as if their voices are heard mm-hmm. and to provide a platform where they're being amplified um, on a, on a regular basis, amplified and celebrated. So um, to your, your, your asked about kind of like, where can they find us on the internet? If you Google live in corporate, I, mm-hmm. by the grace of God, we're at a point now, if you Google live in corporate, you will find us. We're on every streaming platform. Yes. Type live in corporate. We're out there. Um, we're on Instagram at live in corporate. Now let me tell you something. 
Our Instagram is fire. So Hannah McMorris is the social media manager. She does a good job with the design. But the pictures on Living Corporate are fire. And the reason why I can tell you the pictures on Living Corporate are fire is because I took all the pictures. Okay, I'm a photographer as well. So check out the pictures. They're heat rock. Okay, so follow us on Living Corporate. It's at Living Corporate. Google us, Living Corporate. Any platform, Living Corporate. Check out, uh, make sure you check out our podcast. The music is great. Shout out to JJ. He does a great job with that. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that's that's where we're at. Just live in corporate. Yes. No, I can attest um, that your social media manager is bomb because... I, I feel like I feel like such a creep when y'all post something. I'm like the first person to like it. It'll be like 45 <laughs> seconds ago because the visuals. So everybody that's listening, please look at Live Incorporate, their Instagram, and of course, listen to their podcast. But the details and the way that you guys stay on brand is really good. I like that. That's so encouraging. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So thank you so much, Zach, for being my second guest on the Cubicle Chronicles podcast. This has been a really good conversation and I'm happy to share it with people. And then, you know, it's always good to collaborate with other Black millennials doing their thing. And I feel like we're our both of our shows are aligned to, you know, represent our generation in a way to where we can be inspired. And like we see other people in our spaces doing things. So thank you so much for joining the show. Shout out to black women, shout out to black men in corporate. We're out here. So thanks, Zach. Thank you. Peace. Hey guys, thank you for listening to another episode of Cubicle Chronicles. I really want to thank everyone who listens to the podcast. Um, You guys are super, super appreciated. Also, if you didn't know, now you can support the podcast by paying a monthly subscription price. If you go to anchor.fm slash cubicle chronicles and click support this podcast, you'll see the options on how you can support my creative endeavor. Again, the website is anchor.fm slash cubicle chronicles, and I will see y'all next episode.